From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, June 29th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, 53 African nations are represented at the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo in Changsha. Paris is bracing for more violence following a police shooting that killed a teenager. And more than a dozen people in Texas have died from heat-related illnesses amid soaring temperatures in the U.S. state. In business, foreign enterprises express optimism for the Chinese market. In sports, China's Zhang Zhijian is in the last eight at Eastbourne. In culture and entertainment, Hong Kong prepares to mark 26 years since its return to the motherland. Now the day's top stories. Representatives from 53 African countries are gathering in Changsha to attend the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. Over 1,500 enterprises and financial institutions are participating in the event in the central Chinese city. Dai Kai tells us what to expect. It's been quite a journey for the bilateral cooperation, especially in terms of the economy and trade between China and Africa. We know that China remains to be Africa's largest trading partner for 14 straight years. And in the year of 2022, bilateral trade volume between China and Africa hit some 282 billion U.S. dollars. That marks an 11 percent growth year on year. And we can also expect the latest version of China-Africa economic and trade relations report, which is supposed to sort out the progress achieved in the past and also takes a look at the future trends in terms of the bilateral collaboration. And there will also be various high-profile events, uh, also business matchmaking sessions, as well as uh, various seminars during the event. Officials and business leaders uh, certainly believe that this event will further strengthen uh, the bilateral ties and inject a fresh wave of vitality uh, for trade activities going both ways. 
That was Dai Kai in Changsha with a preview of the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. On the sidelines of that event, Chinese Vice President Han Zheng met with Malawian President Lazarus Chikwera and Tanzania's Zanzibar President Hussein Ali Mimuni. Han said China supports Malawi in its own development path and stands ready to step up bilateral cooperation. The Vice President also said the China-Tanzania Comprehensive Strategic Partnership has been effective and that both sides should tap into greater potentials for working together. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is one of eight guests of honor at this year's China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. The DRC is one of the world's largest producers of cobalt used in batteries for electric vehicles. Huang Fei sat down with Congolese Ambassador Francois Nkuna Bulamuens about the trade and more. With a global focus now on green energy, talks around our resource for infrastructure deals are being closely watched by all nations involved in the supply chain. In your opinion, what's a win-win situation? Today is a win-win cooperation. The nine programs put forward by President Xi Jinping under the FOCAC platform, they focus on the industrialization of Africa. Taking raw materials to China for processing, Congo doesn't benefit from this. But transformation and processing of finished products that are made in DRC, Congo can then start exporting around the world. And with the capital of our Chinese friends, it will increase the income of the Congolese people and the Congolese government. This is where we see win-win results, and China has promised to help us with this process. So in three years, we can achieve electric batteries that are made in DRC ready for export globally. Therefore, this is a huge step, and Congo expects a lot from China's firm commitment to help us improve the economy and industries of extraction and transformation. The narrative of the Chinese debt trap is a common criticism of China's Belt and Road Initiative. What's your view on the Chinese development model and President Xi Jinping's call for true multilateralism? So much has been said on this narrative of China's debt trap on African countries, but can you name me a single country in the world that is not in debt? All the large powers of the world are those that are most in debt. In fact, debt and loans are what finance productive projects, projects that can lead to more projects that generate wealth. The major problem for Africa today is the one of lacking energy. This is what handicaps our industrialization. But there's a Chinese saying that if you want to become rich, you have to build roads. And the Belt and Road Initiative is exactly that. So if countries are in debt because of these actions and projects, is in fact for the well-being for the entirety of the country and people. Uh, that was the DRC's ambassador refuting the debt trap narrative from Western countries. Chinese auto companies eyeing African markets have brought their products to the trade expo in Changsha, and Tianyu's caught up with some of them. Sichuan-based 1118 Auto Sales Service specializes in selling cars and accessories. The company is exhibiting products made by the Chinese carmaker Jili at the expo. Zhang Wenzheng is in charge of the company's trade with Africa. He's optimistic about the future prospects of Chinese automakers in African markets. First of all, our automobile brands have greatly enhanced their influence in international markets. Secondly, Chinese cars are very cost-effective. For vehicles at the same price range, Chinese new energy vehicles have better configurations, more spacious interiors, and trendier designs. The pricing of our products is also reasonable. 
They are affordable for ordinary people. Moreover, many Chinese new energy vehicles are capable of providing electricity to households and institutions in power outages and other situations. He also says he appreciates the opportunities presented by the expo. It's crucial to have more exchanges to build mutual trust. This event provides a platform for more companies to engage in trade and economic activities between China and Africa, benefiting both the people and business involved. Also attending the expo is JHC New Energy Auto, a company primarily involved in the production of NEVs and parts. The company first exported their cars to Ethiopia in 2009. Chairman Zhang Haibo explains how his company is gaining a foothold in Africa. We've always been closely monitoring the African market and have conducted thorough research on it. The African car market used to be dominated by gasoline vehicles, but as the trends have shifted, we're focusing on establishing ourselves in the African new energy vehicle market. We're working with local partners and other Chinese companies to export our vehicles. You can clearly see the rapid growth of NEVs in countries like South Africa, Nigeria and Uganda. Zhang also shares his hopes for measures from the Chinese and African governments to boost the development of NEV markets on the continent. The infrastructure in African countries still needs upgrades in terms of electricity storage, so it would be greater for us to lend a hand. Another thing is that we hope there could be more tariff and tax reduction policies in Africa so that electric vehicle companies can enter the African market at lower costs. Also, we hope that there could be more cooperation between the African governments and Chinese car makers to facilitate the overall development of the industry. An industry report shows the market value of the NEV industry in Africa will exceed 20 billion yuan or about 3 billion US dollars by 2037. Countries across the continent, such as Tunisia, South Africa, and Rwanda, are adopting various policies and tax incentives to boost the growth of their NEV markets. For the Beijing Hour, this is Tian Yu from Changsha, Hunan Province. China has reiterated its confidence and determination in development and opening up at the now-concluded summer Davos in Tianjin. During that three-day event, many political and business leaders got to enjoy some of the benefits of China's growth. They took a 30-minute high-speed train ride from Beijing to the summer Davos host city. In a conversation with CGTN host Tianwei, Sri Lankan Foreign Minister Ali Sabri said that he was amazed by the intercity rail link. I came from uh, Beijing to Tianjin in half an hour. So your train system are world class, which is uh, unthinkable 30 years ago. So, uh, and digitalization is all over. Uh, I, I mean, uh, mind-boggling. And, and I had a couple of uh, experiences with that. And then the manner they have connected people, and you build your own uh, aircrafts now yeah. uh, for internal domestic travel. I'm sure there will be also a major player in international travel in years to come. So there's a lot to learn. Uh, the foreign minister also hailed China's achievements in poverty alleviation and expressed his expectations of even closer China-Sri Lanka ties.
Mongolia is seeking increased cooperation with China as Prime Minister Lufsen Namsrai Oyan Arden leads a delegation of officials and businesses on a visit to China. On Thursday, they organized an event in Beijing to promote their industries and foster communication between companies from both nations. Zhu Tianlu has more. Prime Minister Owen Erden highlighted some of the agreements that he and Chinese leaders reached at previous meetings. We need to strengthen Mongolia-China comprehensive strategic partnership further, and also we agreed to settle some projects that we've been discussing for years. They include railway connectivity, especially the linkage between Gashinsuhite in Mongolia and Genchmalt port in China. Also, we reached consensus on railway in Kangi Mandal and Shivekunrun and Bichgezun railway projects. Gashinsuhite is a land port on the China-Mongolia border, which is connected by rail to a coal mine in Tavantogoi in Mongolia. The line opened last year and expects to help increase coal exports to China to 50 million tons a year. Other railway lines such as the Kangi Mandal Line and the Shivian-Kuran and Bichigit Zun Railway Project will serve similar functions in facilitating the commodity trade between Mongolia and China. Transport and infrastructure topped discussions between the leaders as both sides aim to further enhance trade and connectivity. For Mongolia, they hope more Chinese investment can help with their national development strategies such as the new revival policy. China also hopes to strengthen connectivity with Mongolia and beyond to reach Central Asia and Russia with greater ease. Mongolia is also an important partner in the Belt and Road Initiative. Chen Jian'an with the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade says this sentiment is also shared among businesses from both countries. Mongolian companies have been longing for lower tariffs to China in order to promote more products in the Chinese market. Chinese companies are also looking forward to importing more agricultural, husbandry and mineral products from Mongolia. With Mongolia's accession to the Asia-Pacific Trade Agreement in September 2020, it will further deepen bilateral economic and trade cooperation towards freer and a faster trade. Prime Minister Owen Erdin has emphasized that the two sides will continue their cooperation in clean energy with projects like the Erdin-Buran hydroelectric power plant. As Mongolia seeks to diversify its economy beyond mining, experts and businesses believe there's great potential in green development. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhu Tianlu. And coming up, the heavy security in the Paris suburbs following a police shooting. Patriotism, simply put, is the feeling of love for or devotion to one's country. Isn't it an innate human sentiment? Why does it have to be promoted? As China molds its first patriotic education law, who's most likely to violate the law once it's in place? Find the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcast, and right here on CGTN Radio. 14 minutes past the hour. Well, French authorities have deployed at least 2,000 police officers to suburbs across Paris in preparation for violence following a police shooting that killed a 17-year-old driver. French President Emmanuel Macron has called the shooting inexcusable. Natalie Malgas has more. Violence erupted in several Paris neighborhoods following the death of 17-year-old Nahal M. Angry crowds clashed with riot police in Nanterre, where the shooting took place on Tuesday. 
Videos on social media show protesters throwing projectiles at police patrols and fireworks exploding in the street littered with burning barricades. This has been the response to what many believe was an unjustified show of deadly force during a routine traffic inspection. Prosecutors say Nahal failed to comply with the police instruction to stop the car he was driving. The police's account of the incident claim the driver tried to hit the officers. The teenager's family intends to press charges. In the meantime, President Macron has called for calm. In a message of condolences, he's also appealed for swift justice and for the police to carry out their duties to serve and protect in what he's described an ethical framework. French football captain Kylian Mbappe has also shared his condolences with the family. Nahal's mother has called for a peaceful march through Nanterre on Thursday. The family has also asked for mourners to wear white as they hold a vigil for the slain teenager. That was Natalie Malgas in Paris. NATO's Secretary General says he's called a meeting of senior officials from several countries to try to overcome Turkish objections to Sweden's bid to join the military organization. The meeting's a last-ditch effort by Jens Stoltenberg to have the Nordic country standing among NATO's ranks as a member at a major summit next month. The Vilnius summit uh, will be the first with Finland uh, as a member, and we're working to finalize Sweden's accession as well. Therefore, I have called another meeting of senior officials from Turkey, Sweden and Finland next Thursday. The time is now to welcome Sweden as a full member of NATO. NATO requires the unanimous approval of all members to expand. Turkey accuses Sweden of being too lenient on groups that Ankara says pose a security threat, including militant Kurdish groups and people associated with the 2016 coup attempt. Russia's foreign minister has questioned the United States' role in a short-lived mutiny in the country last weekend. Sergei Lavrov has doubted U.S. statements that the country was not involved. Statements have been made that the United States is not interfering in Russia's internal affairs, not planning a regime change in Russia. It was said by the strategic communications coordinator, Mr. Kirby, if I'm not mistaken. Knowing the track record of the United States regarding regime change, such a statement sounds somewhat artificial. A group of Russian mercenaries under the command of Yevgeny Prigozhin launched a brief revolt. The rebellion by the Wagner Group ended after Prigozhin reached a deal with the Kremlin to go to Belarus. White House officials say the U.S. had no role in the conflict, insisting that this was an internal matter for Russia. U.S. President Joe Biden said that the United States and NATO were not involved. Hong Kong's looking to potentially ban seafood from Fukushima and nearby prefectures. That's if Japan proceeds with plans to dump contaminated water from the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant into the sea. Despite protests, Japan's completed a trial run of the equipment used to release that wastewater. And Chung reports. Japanese seafood may be popular in Hong Kong, but options may soon be limited. The government warns that it will immediately ban imported aquatic products from Fukushima and nearby coastal prefectures deemed high risk. Some lower risk prefectures could also face restrictions. That's if Japan goes ahead with plans to dump over 1 million metric tons of wastewater from the stricken Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the sea. Starting sometime this summer and over the next 30 years, Japan will release the treated wastewater which it says is safe. 
But global concerns have intensified after a fish recently caught near the power plant reportedly contained a radioactive element cesium with levels exceeding Japanese food safety standards by 180 times. I have reflected our concerns to the Japan authorities well, several times as well as the Consulate General in Hong Kong. Although we are prepared to take whatever actions required, still, we sincerely, we hope that well, Japan can find alternative way what to do with their sea wastewater, because discharging the wastewater into the sea, even with treatment, we think is highly risky. Since the Fukushima incident in 2011, Hong Kong has already restricted food imports from five prefectures, including Fukushima and Chiba. The Hong Kong government has recently increased radiation testing on imported food from Japan, and if the wastewater is released, it'll step up monitoring of radioactivity in local fishery products and Hong Kong waters. According to the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades, about 15% of the city's seafood imports are from Japan. The Federation adds that some importers and restaurants in the city will be affected by the potential ban. Many Japanese oysters originate from nearby areas north of Fukushima, so if that area is banned, Totori or Hokkaido could be alternatives. Meanwhile, the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is reviewing the safety of Japan's wastewater plants, will be releasing a final report on its findings. Hong Kong authorities will rely on that to decide on which other prefectures to ban. That was Anchung in Hong Kong. U.S. Coast Guard says searchers have recovered debris from the submersible destroyed by an implosion that killed five people, along with uh, uh, presumed human remains. Uh, the Coast Guard said medical professionals will conduct a formal analysis. The return of the debris to port in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland in Labrador is a key piece of the investigation into why the sub imploded. Twisted chunks of the 22-foot sub were unloaded at a Canadian Coast Guard pier. A Canadian ship carried a remotely off operate a vehicle to search the ocean floor near the Titanic wreckage for pieces of the sub and has completed offshore operations now. The Coast Guard has convened a Marine Board of Investigation into the implosion and that's the highest level of investigation conducted by the Coast Guard. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, a deadly heat wave in Texas. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. 21 minutes past the hour. More than a dozen people in Texas have died from heat-related illnesses during an oppressive heat wave in the U.S. state. High temperatures have also put the region's infrastructure to the test. The severe weather pattern is moving north, with tens of millions of Americans bracing for excessive heat. Tony Waterman has more from Austin. It is almost incomprehensible how blisteringly hot it is and has been here in Texas. So perhaps this will put it into perspective. Large parts of Texas will be hotter than 99% of the planet. That is according to Ben Knoll of New Zealand's National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. Temperatures are expected to climb north of 107 degrees Fahrenheit. That's nearly 
42 degrees Celsius in parts of the state. But when humidity is factored in, meteorologists say it will feel closer to 115. I don't know. It just seems like it's getting hotter and hotter, but, you know, uh, as long as you stay cool, hydrate, you know. We're actually leaving the country, going to Canada. The excessive heat has already claimed a number of lives, including a 14-year-old boy and his stepfather who died while hiking in Big Bend National Park last week in 119-degree temperatures. Nine people from one county along the U.S.-Mexico border have also died from heat-related illnesses. And according to the Texas Tribune newspaper, at least nine inmates have died in Texas prisons that have no air conditioning. And some fear that things could get worse. Electricity demand broke an all-time high on Tuesday as people crank up their air conditioning to cool off. Officials have been urging residents to conserve energy for over a week now to avoid rolling blackouts. And part of what makes this heat wave so intense and so dangerous is that there's been little reprieve overnight. Temperatures are remaining in the high 70s, uh, heat indices even higher. And this, experts say, is a symptom of the climate crisis. Heat kills twice as many people as tornadoes and more than four times as many as extreme cold. And nighttime temperatures are increasing even faster than the daytime temperatures. This is especially bad for our health as very warm nights interfere with our body's ability to recover from the hot days. There are potentially 180 nighttime records that could be broken in the coming days as this oppressive heat wave spreads into parts of Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi. As for us here in Texas, we'll be getting some respite over the weekend. Temperatures are forecast to drop just below 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so slightly cooler, but still a heck of a lot warmer than normal for this time of year. That was Tony Waterman reporting on an extreme heat wave in Texas. In India, the southwest monsoon is lashing the country after a two-week delay, with several regions under heavy rainfall advisories. Farmers are anxious as uh, they've either skipped or delayed sowing. It's triggered concern over crop yields and farm incomes. Radhika Bajaj explains. Plucking out weeds at a time, she is usually tending to rice seedlings. With no rain in the first two weeks of June, Yamuna Bai Tumbada decided to skip cultivating rice completely this year. It takes money to prepare the field, buy seeds and rare equipment. Why should I waste money if there's no rain? Like over 60% of farmers in India, Yamuna Bai is heavily dependent on rains for irrigation. Here in Shahpur, in the state of Maharashtra. The Kharif crop, with paddy and pulses in focus, is sown in early June and harvested three to four months later. Government data shows that a delayed monsoon led to a 15% decline in the area under paddy cultivation when compared to mid-June last year. Typically towards the end of June, uh, the rice crop in these regions stands about a foot high. But this year, it's one barren field after another. The concerns of the farmers actually go beyond their current losses because a delayed monsoon can also impact the next sowing season in the months of October and November. Farmers say even if they plant rice now as the rains set in, withdrawal of the monsoon in September will impact the growth cycle of this crop as well as the next. We usually plant a different crop in the next rabi season, but when rain is delayed, the moisture content of the soil depletes. When we plant the next cycle, also the output will be lower. 
A late start to the monsoon has already led to higher prices of pulses and vegetables and is likely to have an adverse impact on the output of maize, cotton, groundnut, soybean and sugarcane. If the monsoon progresses normally and government stockpiles are well managed, concerns around farm output may ease. However, experts say El Nino may reduce overall rain. With agriculture being key to GDP and rural incomes critical for driving consumption, the ripple effect caused by delayed rains is yet to be seen. That was Radhika Bajaj reporting. A team of international scientists say that Britain's too slow to embrace clean energy sources. The number of people ditching their gas boilers with more environmentally friendly options, such as heat pumps, is not rising as much as the government would want. A report by the Independent Climate Change Committee says the government's behind in meeting its net zero commitments. Uh, the advisor of the British government has criticized uh, the lack of progress in areas with, uh, or which centered around uh, decarbonizing heat in homes. Locals in New York City, including drivers, have voiced their opposition to the city's congestion pricing plan. Nobody can afford that. It's a lot of money. I'm asthmatic. I don't want to be on a train. It's not healthy for me. So that's why I choose to drive. And I can't get penalized for driving for my own safety. Already the city's taking the congestion charges already from people living in the city already. So me working and making that money for the city, I don't see why they have to charge me to come and pay before I do that for them too. So it's crazy. I can't really afford that because I drive to work five days a week and it's ridiculous. And how much do I make a week for me to be paying $23? I have to pay for the garage and then pay $23 in addition? That's crazy. Drivers in New York City will be charged tolls to enter Manhattan south of 60th Street as part of a long-stalled congestion pricing plan. Uh, the first in the nation plan is part of an effort to reduce traffic, improve air quality, and raise funds for the city's public transit system. It'll bring New York City in line with places like London and Singapore, which have implemented similar programs. The congestion pricing plan has cleared its final federal hurdle after getting uh, approval by the Federal Highway Administration. We're at 28 past the hour in Beijing's at 23. Three overnight tomorrow will be sunny with a high of 38 degrees Celsius. Chongqing's at 24 this evening, then a slight rain in 33. Last is down to 13 tomorrow, some rain in 26. Hong Kong's at 27 tonight. It'll see showers tomorrow and 32 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 overnight with a slight rain and 31 on Friday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, 53 African nations are represented at the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo in Changsha. Paris is bracing for more violence following a police shooting that killed a teenager. More than a dozen people in Texas have died from heat-related illnesses amid soaring temperatures in the U.S. state. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, still to come. In business, foreign enterprises express optimism for the Chinese market. In sports, China's Zhang Zhijian is in the last eight at Eastbourne. In culture and entertainment, Hong Kong prepares to mark 26 years since its return to the motherland. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. 
Now checking the day's headlines, Chinese President Xi Jinping has signed two presidential orders announcing new laws. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi says the law on foreign relations uh, is a legal guarantee for uh, diplomacy amid a complex international landscape, as the rule of law plays a more prominent role in developing foreign relations and safeguarding national interests. Wang also uh, stressed the law's role in promoting high-quality development and China's policy of opening up. It'll take effect on Saturday. Meantime, the law focusing on creating a barrier-free living environment will come into effect on September the 1st. The Russian Defense Ministry has confirmed an attack in Krematorsk in eastern Ukraine. Spokesman Igor Konoshenkov has claimed that the strike had targeted the Ukrainian military. The Russian Aerospace Forces carried out strikes with high-precision weapons on oil refining and fuel storage facilities that provided the grouping of the armed forces of Ukraine in the Donbass. All assigned objects are hit. Ukraine says the Russian missile attack on a restaurant in the city killed at least 12 people, including three teenagers. Online media in Hungary say the country will delay the ratification of Sweden's NATO membership. An opposition lawmaker said on Facebook that Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban will not put the vote on Parliament's agenda. Sweden and Finland both applied to join NATO last year. Finland became a member in April. Turkey and Hungary have yet to ratify Stockholm's bid. Airstrikes and anti-aircraft fire have rattled parts of Sudan's capital, despite the truce announced for the Muslim holiday of Eid al-Adha. Residents say fighting intensified around Khartoum on the first day of the holiday, one of the most celebrated festivals on the Islamic calendar. Sudan's been witnessing armed clashes between the army and the paramilitary RSF since April 15th, with multiple ceasefire deals failing. Over 3,000 people have died, and around 2.5 million people have been displaced. Chinese scientists have found key evidence for the existence of nanohertz gravitational waves. The research was based on observations carried out with the 500-meter aperture spherical telescope in southwest China. Uh, the waves offer a direct method for probing, uh, probing masses that do not emit light, and they're important in studying key problems in contemporary astrophysics. Research teams in the U.S., Europe, and Australia have been searching for nanohertz gravitational waves for over two decades. An official government forecast shows that many areas in the continental U.S. should expect above-average temperatures this summer. Climate scientist Andrew Krutzkevich has addressed meteorological changes that lead to the abnormal weather conditions. We're seeing the El Nino impacts of unfavorable wind conditions over the Caribbean parts of the North Atlantic, specifically the western North Atlantic, so that's acting to suppress the development of tropical cyclones. However, in the, the central to eastern or northern North Atlantic Basin, we're seeing anomalous temperatures, warmer than average temperatures, that's, also, that's actually leading to an increased chance of tropical cyclone development. The National Weather Service says 62 million Americans were under excessive heat watches, warnings and advisories, expected to last until the 4th of July. It urged people to stay out of the sun and drink plenty of fluids. Scientists say the growing frequency and intensity of severe weather across the United States is symptomatic of human-driven climate change. Spain's capital is baking at over 40 degrees Celsius. Residents are finding refuge at public pools and water parks in Madrid. I have three young girls. We come here to these water jets, which are free, and we can cool off a bit. It's so hot in Madrid that we can't even sleep, even with the air conditioning at full blast.
Yesterday I went to one of the local pools in Caso de Campo, so that was really nice, just finding different ways to cool off. But yeah, it's been like the, the past five days have been super hot and insane. USB fans with solar panels have become popular among residents. High temperatures in Spain have resulted in water shortages affecting crops and livestock. Well, New Zealand is set to become the world's first country to ban the thin plastic bags that supermarkets offer to pick up fruit and vegetables. It'll also extend the pla uh, to plastic straws and silverware. Uh, many people support the new rules that'll come into effect on Saturday. I think that's good. We don't need any more plastic. Oh, no, it's fine. I'm already uh, not using bags. Uh, New Zealand banned most single-use plastics uh, in uh, 2019. Associate Environment Minister Rachel Brooking says uh, the 2019 ban has prevented the use of more than 1 billion plastic bags in the country. That's your headline news update. And this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, foreign enterprises express optimism for the Chinese market. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Uh, stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. Volumes were looking pretty low and the uh, Shanghai Composite Index declined by another two-tenths of one percent. Investors uh, seem to be getting more cautious as we're about to enter the second half of the year with the signs that the economic recovery is still on pretty shaky ground. Real estate stocks dipped sharply today. Investors were taking profits there. Many Chinese developers traded very strongly at the start of the week, but today we saw uh, season holdings down four uh, percent and uh, poly developments shedding at one and a half percent. Tourism stocks also traded lower. That was despite some encouraging signs from Washington uh, that uh, China and the U.S. are considering increasing the number of passenger flights between the two countries uh, to help revive people-to-people -people links. But uh, China Eastern Airlines and Spring Airlines shares still each sank more than 2.5%. Now as market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 1.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained one-tenth of a percent. Many foreign exhibitors are expressing optimism at the ongoing 18th China International Small and Medium-Sized Enterprises Fair. Uh, we was uh, uh, many times in uh, exhibition China. Hopefully, we find a good, good customers from the China and also find a new opportunity for business uh, between Iran and China. Because China is a big country, so here is uh, many people, the businessmen, the good businessmen in China. So that's why I want to business in China. Uh, the fair is scheduled to run until Friday in Guangzhou. Uh, summer Davos is wrapped up in Tianjin. Xu Xinchen sat down with Dora Liu, deputy CEO of Deloitte China, to talk about the economy and how technology can help the global recovery. First and foremost, definitely, is the tourism uh, industry. And in the past, the Dragon Boat Festival, witnessing the uh, uh, you know very strong uh, rebound uh, of uh, tourism, which is uh, is a good uh, proof. And when I talk about the tourism industry, it's not 
tourism uh, itself, because tourism could uh, generate pull-through revenue for a lot of other sectors, for example, like accommodation, food and beverage, retail, so on and so forth. Second one, uh, no doubt, is uh, digital and its, uh, its application, because digital is everywhere. And now digital is the accelerator uh, of the economic growth. And the third industry is uh, uh, green uh, energy or green technology. China is definitely determined to boost and continue to grow its digital economy, as you have mentioned, with development of technology like artificial intelligence or cloud computing. What do you see the real potential here for the digital economy, how it contributes to the world economy? China uh, and the business are investing a lot in the digital transformation of uh, enterprise. Uh, so it's to be in particular uh, manufacturing, smart manufacturing. Uh, so these are the areas like uh, AI, uh, cloud computing, are the areas uh, we believe contribute uh, to the next wave of uh, digital transformation. Uh, and not for China only, it's, it's to global economy. So we need to co collaborate and contribute together to achieve uh, the common theme of uh, economic growth uh, and uh, sustainability. That was Dora Leo, the deputy CEO of Deloitte China. The China-Vietnam Economic and Trade Cooperation Forum is focused on deepening economic cooperation. Chinese Vice Premier Liu Guajang uh, says participants at the forum are expecting expanded economic ties. Through the joint efforts of people from all walks of life, economic and trade cooperation between China and Vietnam has kept deepening in recent years, achieving fruitful results. Bilateral trade has been developing vigorously. Even as the world economy faces severe challenges, trade between China and Vietnam has maintained a favorable development momentum. China is Vietnam's largest trade partner, and China has been a growing source of investment for Vietnam in recent years. According to official Vietnamese data, the first half of this year saw Chinese investment in the country amount to almost 2 billion U.S. dollars. Vietnamese Prime Minister Pham Minh Chin says he hopes to establish more cooperation with Chinese enterprises. I have met with representatives from Chinese enterprises to discuss how to create favorable conditions for Chinese enterprises in Vietnam. Through economic and trade cooperation, we hope to contribute to the good relationship between the two parties and two countries. So we propose establishing a working group to specifically promote economic and trade cooperation between the two countries. And we will work even more in the future to deepen cooperation and contribute to bilateral relations. The forums attracted over 400 representatives from China and Vietnam. China's logistics sector maintained rapid recovery in the first five months of the year. The country's total social logistics reached roughly 18 trillion U.S. dollars, up 4.5 percent. In particular, the logistics demand from industrial products maintained steady growth, contributing 70 percent of the growth of total social logistics. Meantime, the total logistics of imported goods in the first five months posted double-digit growth. Experts attribute the rebound in logistics of imported goods to the continued unleashing of the effects of policies for stabilizing economic growth and the entry into force of some trade agreements.
In Shanghai, overseas tourists can now make payments using the same digital wallets they use in their home countries. Developed by Ant Group's international business group, Alipay Plus allows merchants to accept payments made by global consumers using their favorable payment methods. Uh, a man identified as Peng from Kuala Lumpur came to Shanghai on a business trip, and he said he's surprised to find that he can use his Malaysian e-wallet in the city. Rob in the app, and then I can find and open the QR code that will be used to pay over here. This one additional step can make the app that we often use in Malaysia useful here. It's quite familiar. So far, many e-wallets such as Malaysia's Boost and Indonesia's uh, Akulaku PayLater have established partners with Alipay Plus. Uh, travelers from other countries can also link their Alipay accounts to their overseas bank cards for more convenient payment. Well, China's been promoting the establishment of so-called zero-carbon factories across the country to reduce carbon emissions. Zhang Shixuan visited Boehringer Ingelheim Shanghai Pharmaceuticals to find out more. Non-stop pharmaceutical production lines have an endless demand for air conditioners. That means a huge demand for energy. Much of the factory's air conditioning system has now been upgraded. The companies introduced new equipment like heat pumps and heat pipes to recycle the heat, as well as a new carbon emission management system. The entire rooftop is now covered with photovoltaic panels. Our three-dimensional heat pipes have the highest investment return rate. We got our costs back in just a few months. For those with slower investment returns like photovoltaic panels, we make our investment back in six or seven years, but they can be used for more than 20 years, which means that after we get our costs back, we can be operating at no cost but only saving money for more than 10 years. This is just one of the 20 companies which has been awarded a zero-carbon certificate by the Shanghai government. The Pudong New Area has launched new policies. Each zero-carbon factory receives an award of 500,000 yuan. Leading foreign invested firms are playing a demonstration and leading role in green transformation. They include Bosch, Siemens and Schneider. Many local companies in the automobile, pharmaceutical and consumer goods industries have all moved up to go zero carbon. This has all triggered new demands for well-educated talent in the field. At the end of 2020, Shanghai Jiao Tong University established a college of smart energy to cultivate new professionals that have a good command of both smart technologies and clean energy. Our smart energy engineering major is the first such undergraduate major of its kind in China. In the future, the energy studies will be combined with internet technologies and AI. Liu says that the employment situation has turned out well beyond expectations. An action plan released by the city government calls for Shanghai to have 150 green manufacturing demonstration firms by 2025. That was Zhang Shishuan reporting. Uh, you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's Zhang Zhejian is in the last eight at Eastbourne. Carlos Alcaraz has guaranteed that he will be the top seed at Wimbledon next week. Will he be able to stop Novak Djokovic's title defense? Who can come out as the biggest surprise from the Chinese contingent at Grass Court's Grand Slam? Tune in to this week's Sideline Story podcast. We bring you all things sports related. 
47 past the hour now. And turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In tennis, Chinese men's singles ace Zhang Zhijian came from one set down to beat American Maxim Cressy to reach the last eight of the Easterbourne International. It's the first time Zhang has advanced to the quarterfinals of a grass court event on the ATP Tour. He will next face a fourth seed, Francisco Serendolo. Top seed Taylor Fritz has crashed out in the last 16 at the hands of fellow American Mackenzie McDonald. Meantime, in WTA action, Chinese players Yuan Yue and Bai Zhuoxuan are both one step away from reaching the Wimbledon women's singles main draw. Yuan beat Yuriko Mizayaki in the qualification second round, while Bai edged Maria Ludis Kale. China conceded a third defeat in the Women's Volleyball Nations League, falling to re- uh, reigning world champion Serbia in four sets. Outside hitter Li Yingying was the best scorer for China with 18 points. We had a chance to turn the match around, but we missed it, as we still have some problems that need to be fixed. One of those issues is that we don't seize chances when we can, and for me, I still need to make adjustments in my attacks. Boscovich is very good, and there are things that I can learn from her, but we play completely different styles, and what I need to do the most is to only compare myself to me, so that I can get better. Serbia's Tiana Boscovich scored a game-high 25 points. China will next face the Dominican Republic on Friday. Gymnastics superstar Simone Biles plans to take part in her first official competition since the pandemic-delayed 2020 Tokyo Olympics. USA Gymnastics announced that Biles will be back at the U.S. Classic outside Chicago in early August. The seven-time Olympic medalist is part of the women's field for the single-day event. Biles has taken most of the last two years off after quitting multiple events in Tokyo to focus on her mental health. She had hinted at the Paris 2024 Olympics, but only after taking a lengthy break. In football, former Argentine national team manager Gerardo Tata Martino is set to reunite with Lionel Messi at Inter Miami as he was unveiled as the head coach of the Major League Soccer Club. Martino take, uh, takes over from ex-England international Phil Neville, who was sacked following a poor run of form at the start of June. Martino has previous experience in MLS with Atlanta United, who he led to MLS Cup success in 2018. Meantime, MLS Commissioner Don Garber says the league expects to have Messi joining soon. We continue to work to uh, finalize all aspects of, uh, of our arrangement with him and look forward to making some announcements really soon. Couldn't be more excited, the best player that's ever played the game. Picking Major League Soccer as his league of choice, I think, is a great testament to uh, where Major League Soccer is and the global soccer football landscape, but also a, a great testament to Inter Miami, their ambition. Inter Miami is currently bottom of the Eastern Conference, four points adrift of Toronto FC. Tottenham has signed England midfielder James Madison from relegated Leicester. The Spurs secured Madison in a deal worth £40 million plus add-ons. Madison has agreed to a five-year deal with the club and becomes new Tottenham coach Angie Postacoglu's third arrival of the summer. During five largely successful years with Leicester, Madison made 203 appearances, scored 55 goals and produced 41 assists. Roma coach Josie Mourinho has to go through a 10-day suspension for the start of the Serie A season for comments he made about an Italian referee. 
Wednesday's ban by the Italian Football Federation means Mourinho will miss Roma's opening match next season and will likely also miss the second as well. Mourinho claimed that Daniel Schiffi was the worst referee he had seen after Roma's one all draw at Monza on May 3rd. UEFA earlier banned 60-year-old Mourinho for four matches for abusing English referee Anthony Taylor at the Europa League final. In cycling, Denmark's Mats Pedersen is targeting more stage wins at this year's Tour de France after claiming his maiden Grand Tour victory in last year's tournament. Peterson won stage 13 after a sprint finish in St. Edien in 2022 and went on to pick up three more stage victories. Hopefully another stage win. Uh, that's what I'm here for. So, uh, yeah, uh, as you said, I had to stop the Giro and uh, then I could prepare 100% for, for the tour afterwards. So uh, I'm here in the best shape and uh, hopefully I can win again. Peterson also claimed the points classification leader's green jersey in the Valtespana later in the year. The 27-year-old rider then won a stage of this year's Giro d'Italia before withdrawing through illness, cementing his position as a rider to watch across the 21 stages of this year's Tour de France. Tour de France organizers say riders who test positive for COVID won't be automatically expelled from the race this year. Health passes, vaccination certificates, or negative COVID tests prior to participation in the competition are no longer required this season. The coronavirus coordinator of the race says if a rider or team member tests positive for the virus, the decision to exclude or isolate them will be taken collectively by the team's doctor. Earlier this season, Giro d'Italia leader and race favorite Remco Evenpool withdrew after testing positive for the coronavirus. And finally, in golf, the PGA Tour goes to the Rocket Mortgage Classic this week. And sports editor Brendan Yates has a preview. The PGA Tour heads to Michigan for the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and the North Course at Detroit Golf Club is one of the easiest courses on the PGA Tour rotation, so I think we will see a lot of brave and aggressive play from some of the biggest names in the game. Expect to see buckets of birdies at Detroit Golf Club. In three of four editions, the winning score was at least 23 under. Defending champion Tony Finau is my favorite, but the likes of Max Homer, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa and Keegan Bradley could also pose a threat. That was Brandon Gates and the PGA Rocket Mortgage Classic. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture, Hong Kong prepares to mark 26 years since its return to the motherland. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 past the hour now. A Hong Kong will hold a star-studded concert to mark the 26th anniversary of the Special Administrative Region's return to the motherland. Thursday's concert features U Jing and Alex Su leading a seven-member host team. Jackie Chan, Andy Lau, Chris Lee, and other stars will take part in that gala. Symphony orchestras from Hong Kong, Macau, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen will play simultaneously in their respective cities to end the show. The Shanghai Ballets brought its original production, A Sigh of Love, to the outdoor stage at the Inlet. They're blending contemporary and classical ballet. The female dancers are rocking Chipao outfits to bring an extra touch of authenticity to the show. Uh, Huang Yue-Cheng spoke with some of the dancers and spectators. 
A Sign of Love is a love story set in 1930s Shanghai. It was the first time this production was presented within a Shikumen compound. Instead of dancing in a theater, I think it's an excellent experiment to perform in the inlet, a place full of Shanghai culture. Before we perform on an outdoor stage, some of our dancers will first give a 10-minute prelude of the production surrounded by Shikumen buildings, allowing people to have a foretaste of our settings. It's so special. The dancers, the costumes, Chipao, everything is a great match with this place. It is truly a real setting, since behind the stage stands two real Shikumen buildings. Although I wasn't alive during that period, I feel like everything here makes me travel back to the 1930s. I think we can try more experiments like this in the future. Since we've got different types of original creations, we can show them in different venues and environments according to the needs of the city and the people. Since November 2021, over 20 different types of immersive shows have been held at the Inlet. That was Huang Yue-Ching on the Shanghai Ballet Show at the Inlet. DC Studios has found its new Superman in David Cornsweet. Studio co-chair James Gunn, who's also writing and directing Superman Legacy, tweeted about the casting, which also includes Rachel Brosnahan playing Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. There has been much speculation over who would fill Superman's shoes after Henry Cavill's decade playing the character on the big screen came to an end. Cornsweet reportedly won the role over the likes of Nicholas Holt and Tom Brittany. The 29-year-old starred in Netflix series The Politician and Hollywood and more recently played a theater owner in Ty West's Pearl. Superman Legacy is set for a July 2025 release. Uh, the story of one of the most influential players in NBA history will hit theaters and Apple TV Plus this summer. Uh, Steph Curry underrated blends archival footage and on-camera interviews documenting Curry's rise from a small-town Division I college to a four-time NBA champion. Do not rely on him to run your team. In the process, Curry became the NBA's all-time leader in three-point shots, revolutionizing the sports strategy. Emmy Award winner Peter Nix is the director of the documentary, which will be released in select theaters and premiered globally on Apple TV Plus on July 21st. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Uh, Beijing's at 23 degrees this evening. It'll be sunny and 38 on Friday. Chongqing's at 24 overnight, then a slight rain in 33. Lass is down to 13, a slight rain in 26 for the day tomorrow. Uh, Hong Kong's 27 this evening, and it'll see showers in 32. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 overnight with a slight rain in 31 on Friday. Islamabad will see a slight rain in 23 this evening, then more rain in 31. Bangkok's 27 overnight, then some rain in 35 on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain in 22 degrees Celsius. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 8 this evening. It's sunny in 17 Friday. Auckland's 10 overnight, then a slight rain in 14 degrees. Port Vila's overcast in 27 degrees Celsius. 
That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, 53 African nations are represented at the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo in Changsha. And Paris is bracing for more violence following a police shooting that killed a teenager. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.